Hello, welcome to the latest edition of the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Heil, the Director of Communications at the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter. And if you've listened to many of our podcasts before, I know we've been on a bit of a hiatus as in the summer. Um, you've heard from a lot of different perspectives when it comes to ALS, from board members, the president of the ALS Association, um, legislators, researchers, and families affected. One family we have heard from before is the Delaney family, who we recorded one of our earlier podcasts in Washington, D.C., in the halls of Congress. Today, I'm going to be talking with one of the Delaney sisters, uh, Chrissy Delaney. Chrissy Delaney Cohen um, has participated in some research recently, and I think for a lot of people who are interested in knowing about research, this is going to be a very fascinating topic about how she got involved, a little bit about her story about how you can learn about more research possibilities that are out there um, that you may not think of and you may think that research is only for certain people. Um, before we get into this, we're getting into month of August where Larry Kaplan is going into his 50 and 30 program. So Chrissy's going to be talking about going to another state. Larry's going to all of them. And I encourage you to go to www.50in30.org to learn about uh, his adventures, follow through, donate, and support his cause, or learn about our chapter in ALS at www.alsphiladelphia.org. This podcast will also have a few sound effects, as we have other instruments here in the studio, in the studio in Chrissy's home. Um, so, you know, just welcome those as well. Chrissy, thanks for inviting me into your home to talk about your research. Thanks for coming, Tony. Always a pleasure. Yes, it was fun getting all the way out here to Willow Grove with my um, seven-month-old, who is playing a part in this podcast. So, Chrissy, a lot of people that follow our chapter know your family. Um, just give us a little background about ALS in your family and your and your involvement. Um, okay, so ALS in our family uh, has been with us, unfortunately, for a number of years. Our mother passed away from ALS in... 1991, and her father had ALS as well, passed away when he was in his 30s. And did you know that her father had ALS? You didn't, right? We did not know that my mom's dad had ALS. He died when my mom was nine, so she doesn't have a ton of memories about him, and they believed it was MS mm -hmm. that he had, so it was really unclear. Right. Um, and now, and as he you He must have been pretty young at that time then. What's that? He must have been rather young. He was. He was 35 or 36, I think. Wow. Um, and now my sister, Karen Delaney Scheidleff, uh, is, has been diagnosed since 2011 and is amazingly bravely fighting this horrible disease and is a strong advocate, participates in research. Um, guinea pigs herself out to whoever wants a piece of her. Right. I feel almost... I mean, you welcome me into your family. I came to your house because you've made cake for me many times. Absolutely. Uh, but Karen was diagnosed just a few months before I started, so I feel like my time at the chapter is basically Karen's chapter at the same time. Exactly. And our family has um, done things with the chapter probably since 19, I guess around 1990 mm -hmm. we've been involved, so we're not new to the chapter. Um you know, my family, uh, Karen and my dad, have been on the board in numerous capacities. Uh, so we feel this chapter is the best, um, and we do whatever we can to support and help out. 
you know, I mean, we were looking through pictures for different retrospectives, just for other things, for the Phillies, and we saw your mom at the Phillies Festival Mike 25 Schmidt. years ago. Right, so, Mike Schmidt. Um, they really, not that we're going to rename the chapter, and... <laughs> Please don't. But if we did, it would it, we could very well call it the Delaney chapter. Everything like that. So there's some bells going on here, but we're going to get some of the bells and whistles of your research program that you got involved in. So you were, you parents been involved in a lot of research, and I think people when they hear ALS research, they think um, that it's got to be a person with ALS getting stuck with a needle, right. and that that's what research is, taking some blood work from a patient or injecting them with stem cells or with some chemicals, but... That's not all that research entails. In fact, you don't have to have ALS nope. to participate. So tell me what you learned about and how you got involved. Okay, so at the University of Miami, Dr. Benatar is doing a study for people who what they call pre-familial ALS or pre-fouls. And the hope is that they'll get enough information about a family line so that they'll be able to use that data to kind of unlock um, some of the mysteries of the disease. So this study um, is to, like I said, really find out if people um, maybe have materials from their body that they're willing to give over to the study to then research further. So there's a lot of um, information that they needed, uh, both physical piece of information, but also historical information about myself and my family. And like Tony said, you, you do not need to be diagnosed to be in that study. Um, if there's family history there, um, then that could make someone eligible to participate. So... Well, oftentimes people with ALS learn about research studies by going to their clinics, and we encourage anyone, if they have ALS or if they're a caregiver, ask the research coordinators at those clinics. There's often research happening there, but they'll direct you to some programs that may work for what you need. Um, did you learn about this through newsletters or from Karen herself? Right. So, good question. Um, I, I've been doing this a while. I have I a few know, good questions. I know. I love that. Um, Karen did participate in the study, um, or she told us about it. I, frankly, I can't remember exactly which it was. Um, and that was since she was diagnosed. And so I did find out it, about it from Karen and then just contacted, uh, the research coordinator at the University of Miami to move forward with that. And I was on a waiting list because mm -hmm. um, they were only able to take in a number of people. So I was on a waiting list, I think for about a year, maybe 18 months before my number came up. So this was from almost two years ago you started getting involved with this. Um, I think it was actually three years ago. Three years ago. That's, that's kind of hard to believe. I believe it, but people talk about they want research to be done fast. We all do, but... It takes time to put together the studies, get the yeah. participants, and it takes some patience. I'm yeah. sure that it was hard for you to... You're not necessarily always a patient person. What are you trying to say? I'm saying that, you know, you, you want to get moving and get going. You're not... I want to see something happen. Yeah. We don't... This disease does not um, give us the luxury of time. Right. So, but, so I'm, glad, I'm, I'm sure that once you were finally able to, to go, how much time did you have lead time between where you're accepted and you have to be here 
like tomorrow um, and a week yeah, and a month? So the initial contact was made. Then I was on the waiting list. And then once my name number came up on the waiting list, I then was contacted um, to come to do some phone screenings. And that was done over a couple of months. Um, back and forth, paperwork back and forth. Um, I had to have blood work done for genetic information, mm -hmm. which that takes, I think it was maybe three months for that. And could you do the blood work locally? Um, I had the blood work drawn locally, but it had to be overnighted to University of Miami. I mean, you're mailing your blood places all over the Yeah, the I'm fine with that. Uh -huh. um, and nice thing too, uh, people who have familial ALS are often rather concerned about potentially a doctor or insurance carrier or someone finding out that they're t being tested potentially for a familial disease. Um, so my local hospital, which is Abington, I say that? Sure. Um, they actually will draw blood. They don't take your name, nothing. You don't have to pay for it. It doesn't go through insurance. So mm -hmm. you're completely anonymous, um, which was great. And they helped me package it up and send it off. And there's a lot of neurologists and clinicians who are working hard to make sure that it's that we can lower the barrier for entry for research as yeah. much as they can. So that was great. So that barrier was, is, you know, I would consider non-existent, mm -hmm. um, you know, so that was helpful. Um, and so then after they received the blood work, the next step was for me to have a phone conversation with a genetics counselor um, to talk about you know, what it might be like for me to actually find out the results or not to find out the results of that blood work. Mm -hmm. And, um, and this was how many months ago? That was probably, I think that was last summer. Summer of 2015? 2015, yes. And I mentioned to Tony earlier, I, you know, I, I'll be the first to admit that I really drug my feet about um, trying to decide what I wanted to do as far as finding out or not. Um, and anybody in that situation can probably see how that would be challenging um, decision. I think if you're not in that situation, it might seem really obvious what you should do mm -hmm. until you're faced with it. Because... You talked about how you had your mom and your sister and your grandfather had ALS, but your your other sister, Kathy, has gone back and realized that you've had dozens of people in your family with ALS. Right. So, so it, we've had it's a challenging thing. To a little learn. over thirty five people uh, in our family going back. I forget how many generations now, but it's suspected at the very least. Right. Who knows about others? I mean, it's difficult to unearth things because also Lou Gehrig's hasn't been called Lou Gehrig's forever. Right. Um, you know, so some of the things that we saw in some family history is like muscle wasting disease, uh, things like that, that we can likely attribute to being ALS. So you got you, you got accepted, you found out, you decided not to find out. I did decide not to find out at this point in my life. Um, I can change my mind at any time and find out those results if I wish to, um, but for right now, it's just not something that I want to be faced with. You know, and main, a lot of it is, you know, my sister is diagnosed and she's been living five years with this disease and as Tony mentioned, hasn't impacted at this point any myself or my other two sisters. So our children haven't really made all the connections about the fact that their aunt and their grandmother, who they never knew, um, had this disease. So it's not always in their forefront of what it might mean for them. Right. So 
until somebody becomes potentially diagnosed in our family again, that's going to open up a can of worms for these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Obviously. So for me at this point, I just prefer not to know. And, and which is, and you had said that by not knowing, you were able to continue participating. Right. So with this particular study, if you find, if you decide to find out your result and you find, and the result is negative, so you do not have the genetic mutation for ALS, you are out of the study. If you find out it's positive, you can stay in. And if you don't find out your results, you stay in. So, um, I mean, it's a good point to make that in not finding out, I'm guaranteed that I'll stay in. And even, and one of my main concerns about staying in and not knowing is that if I was negative, would they be wasting money on me, research dollars on me, mm-hmm. when it's not really useful? And they assured me that obviously they need control groups as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that also helped me to continue with wanting to be involved. Because the last thing I want to do is waste research money. Right. And I imagine that. Part of the reason for not including you if you knew that you didn't have that uh, abnormality is that then you would behave differently or, you know. And it also allows then for somebody else to be in it. That's true. So there's a lot of good reason why yeah. that would happen. Right. Uh, so when did you finally get the ability to go down to university? Because that was another draw. You get to go to Miami. Yeah. I was like, all right, that's cool. And If it was at the University of... Siberia, you may be less or inclined. Kentucky, no offense, Kentucky. We have great friends at the Kentucky at the Kentucky chapter. I'm sure. Larry De, Larry Kaplan will be in Kentucky in the month of August and in I the love 50 Larry and 30 Kaplan. campaign, <laughs> and you can follow along when it'll be in uh, Kentucky at 50and30.org. So you um, you went to Miami. Where he'll all, well, he won't be in Miami, but he'll be in Florida. So what happened was that when I finally um, they got all my information, everything was. Um, screened, um, and I did all the consents, which there are many. Uh, they, and when you participate in these research, um, in this type of research, most of the time, with a lot of these studies, they provide for you airfare, hotel, a stipend for meals. So you're not putting that money, um, you're not losing that money because frankly, it's not, if, if I if that wasn't the case, I'm not sure how much I'd be able to participate because, unfortunately, I don't have, you know, ex- excess dollars to just go. Well, that'd, be a, that'd be at least $1,000. Easily, right? Yeah. I mean, and you got a daughter, you got a house, you got time you have yeah. to spend. It's not easy to do. And also with this, with me, I had to also, like, basically be secretive about this because my daughter didn't know that I was going. Mm-hmm. Actually, she knew I was going to Miami, but she thought I was going with my sister to support her in some research she was doing. She did not know that I was going to be the guinea pig. Right. Um, so, you know, I had to be, you know, I came home with a bruise from blood draw. I came home with a bruise under my chin from, you know, one of the, elect- the EMG. So I had to make up different reasons why these things were on my body. Um, so that's not necessarily... You know, that's hard for people, too, I think, to have to figure out how to finagle all of that. Now, um, your sister Karen has gone through a lot of these kinds of studies, and you know others that have. Yeah. So did you know what this would all entail, that there'd be all these different kinds of blood work and other things where you, you where it wouldn't be comfortable? Right. Put it that way. Yeah. Um, 
part of the pre-screening process is they go through ad nauseum almost every single thing that you they'd like for you to participate in. Of course, you can say no to any piece of the study. Right. You don't have to say, you know, if there's something you're uncomfortable with, they still want you whatever you're willing to give them, which I think is great, too. It's not an all or nothing. Um, so I think that's important to know because not everybody's going to be comfortable with every part of um, the study. So... Um, I did know, I've been with Karen um, when she went to St. Louis for a research trial, uh, actually a drug trial, so I've seen a lot of the things that are done. They told me everything that's to be done. They sent very detailed and very organized information via email to me about actually what my exact schedule would be when I was there, and then of course I sent back saying, can you tell me exactly what, just more details about some of these things. So. Mm -hmm. I knew what I was going for, even though you know it's different when you're there. If you tell me you're going to stick a needle in me, it's not going to make it more pleasurable to get a needle in me, <laughs> especially if it's going to be a lot of needles. Yes. Uh, but, so you got a lot of information. Yes. Um, a lot of phone calls yeah. or emails mm -hmm. and letters. Did that make it more comfortable for you knowing, one, that the researchers at the University of Miami were so professional, two, they were looking up for your well-being, of course. Yeah. And at three, you were totally prepared that this is what I'm going to get into. Yes, I, I felt very comfortable about that. Um, and like, like you were saying, they were very easy to talk to. They had, a, you know, the, the details. I'm somebody who likes details, so I kind of really want to know what to expect. So it did put me at ease somewhat to, yeah. to do. Like you said, though, I still knew I was going in and get myself poked and prodded and whatever. It would put me at ease. Yeah. I think a lot of our patients... And you, you've been involved with this for, like you said, almost your whole life. Yeah. Um, since, and I was since I was like 18. It just feels like you're not that old. I'm just saying. Ah, uh, I'm so, 45. So, wow. Um, um, wow? Yeah. I, I didn't, I don't know. I, I, once you're in your mid-30s, you, you have a bed. It's hard for me to know how old people yeah. are. But, um, but so you've been in, with this for a long time. So, you know, the people at ALS like having details. They like yes. knowing them. Yeah. And I'm happy to, to give them <laughs> whatever they wanted to know. Um, right. And they did, there were some things they wanted me to prepare ahead of time as well to, that they were going to be talking with me about. Um, like, they wanted to know every single place I've lived since I was born. Uh -huh. They wanted to know every single job I've had since right. I've worked, the state, and then, of course, was I around any hazardous materials and Many things like that. They also wanted to know. Um, I said everywhere I lived, everywhere I lived, everywhere and everywhere I lived, worked. Yeah. And some of those things could be disqualifying. They're not disqualifying. They're looking for patterns. Uh -huh. So is there something that potentially? Is there something that maybe triggers the disease right. in somebody? So if they find that you know a lot of people have been around farming areas where they're using certain pesticides. Could that be something that maybe is um, causing the disease to, quote, like, kind of turn on? Right. Um, so I think they just want to gather as much information. And also, as they find out more, they want to just have everything they could possibly know. So that – and that's one of the important things is that then if you um, had been around, like, military bases – I know you're not a veteran, yeah. um, but, like, my, my mother – has MS and mm -hmm. he lived in military bases, so that's sometimes a thing. Right, connection. Um, 
so then they could look at other people. Yeah. It's kind of like the ALS registry. Absolutely. Which you, you fought for through yep. advocacy mm-hmm. and everything like that. Yeah. Um, and so you went through a lot of questions. You finally went down there. And how long were you at the University of Um, So I went down on a Sunday um, afternoon, and I left on a Tuesday afternoon. So I was there just two nights, three days, three days, two nights. I was only at the University of Miami on all day Monday, all day Tuesday. That was an exhausting couple days. It was. They cram in a lot, which is great. They're very organized. There was never any waiting for anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was all done in a very small proximity within the hospital. So you were around a lot of the same people the whole time, which also for me aided in my level of comfort. Almost like the ALS clinics themselves where you see a lot of specialists in one place. Right. So they all come to you, um, which Mm -hmm. was great. Um, So two days, um, like I said, very well organized and, you know, just all around it was um, a very positive experience. I think even more so than I thought it might be, even uh-huh. having been involved in stuff previously. So they did how many studies? They they, they drew your blood, right? So multiple I had times, I have my little list here in front uh-huh. of me. It's a big list. It's it, not a little list. Yeah. Um. So I had eleven vials of blood drawn. Uh-huh. Did you have any? any Do you have any left? Um. I didn't feel like I did, and this was like at seven thirty in the morning. They're drawing um, blood from me, um, and, and you I, have to be. I'm, I'm sorry, to but like just like when you. Go through a lot of things. I'm sure they tell you like what not to eat. Or right, something. I was fasting, so I, after midnight I couldn't have anything to eat. Like a gremlin. Like a gremlin. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I am. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far, but okay. I know that happens in the movie. Um, so they took out. Yeah, they took 11 vials of blood for me, which made me feel very woozy. I'm not somebody who, unfortunately, um, does so well with blood draw. I don't mind the needle, but the, the physical effect on me is yeah. usually not so great. And then right after that is when they were um, going to do the lumbar puncture, spinal tap to get the spinal fluid, which is where all the juicy, good information would be. Um, so that's pretty much right after that. So, and it's really the best time for them to do it um, because for they, they want you to be fasting. I'm not 100% sure why that is. Um, I guess so that certain things are in your system and skew the result. I don't know how they affect your spinal fluid, but I, I'm not a, a doctor. Just play one on TV. Um, but they, um, so I met Dr. Benatar. Hi, how are you? We're going to do a lumbar puncture. You know, so it was, um, it was a lot. I was feeling woozy, and then I have to lay down and have this thing done. Lumbar puncture, um, plenty of people have them done. Um, there are plenty of people who don't, and there are people who are in the study who opt not to have it because it's quite invasive. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's. It doesn't tickle. It does not tickle. It's a very bizarre feeling. So, you know... So it's he, more bizarre than painful? Like, um, I think, yeah, like sort of unsettling. Cause there, uh-huh. It's hard to explain what it's like that someone is like inside your spine. And it and it felt like they were almost like tapping in there. It's hard to even explain what it felt like, like knocking around inside my spine. Right. It's so, not something that you experience on a regular basis. No. Uh-uh. Um, so he was doing that and... You know, I was not comfortable with the whole thing. I think partly I was still not feeling so great from having the blood drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I completely had recovered at that point. Right. And um, he was not able to get spinal fluid from me, which devastated me, frankly. Mm. I had like a... To go through all of that, yeah. I, I had like a, a meltdown, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. I did because I so desperately just want to help any way that I can. And I think about my daughter, and I think about my sister's children, and it 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 makes me crazy. So I was very disappointed 
that I really couldn't couldn't manage it. But you were already doing so much. I know. I know. It was hard. Right. My cousin Chantel Delaney was there with me, and she was a huge support. Um, I don't know that, you know, going alone, is, which a lot of people do, I think would be very challenging the first visit. Um, not to have somebody there to support you. Oh, yeah. For, personally, for me, I wouldn't want to do that by myself. I would definitely want to have somebody yeah. with me. Right. Holding your hand. Holding my hand or just... Someone that talks about the you. weird feelings yeah. you're having. Yeah, it gets... It was, yeah, it was challenging. So they did that. Um, they didn't need to do um, a skin biopsy, which they often do, um, because they had enough of, I, I'm not sure exactly, but the particular strand, so I don't know if it's SOD1, which is what our family carries. So they did not need the skin biopsy, which is usually just like a little, um, a punch that they do on your skin. Um, and then they did um, a bunch of surveys, a sy symptoms questionnaire. Um, they wanted any medications or supplements that I had been on, like basically my entire life, um, that I take more than six months um, at a time. I wouldn't be worried. I, it would be hard it, to remember all that. And they told that me that ahead of time, so I knew I had time to prepare. And I had several weeks between when the, it was scheduled, maybe even more than several, maybe a month or more before between when it was scheduled that I was going to go and when I went. So I had time to gather information. Um, so yeah, medication log. Then they did um, an environmental risk factor survey, and that included all the history of where I lived, where mm -hmm. I've worked, those sorts of things. Uh, then I had a neuro exam with back again with Dr. Benatar, who is lovely. He is a wonderful physician. I can see why people like him so much. He's very personable. Um, so I did a um, EIM, which is electrical impedance myography, and I also did EMG. So he was sticking, um, first just doing some electrodes um, sent to measure the nerve conduction from one place to another, say like from my wrist to like my elbow area. Um, and then he had everything on a computer screen. I have no idea what it was doing, but doing something. And then he did one where he actually had to stick needles in me sort of like an acupuncture needle i think i saw a picture of this yeah when doing it. and there were i don't know maybe like 30 or 40 times of that and there and that was all over arms legs my back um under my chin and that was to actually into the nerve and i know that sounds potentially horrible to a lot of people like having been stuck that many times if you've ever sewn or stuck yourself with a needle or a pin or something, to me that's what it felt like, and that wasn't weird at all for me. So, and if it was, I could say I didn't want to do it. Right. So. So you got all of it. And that was all in the first day. Wow. I thought that we were, I thought you were done. No. Um, so that was the first day. The second day we did um, some more surveys. They did um, this thing where they they had to breathe, um, had to sniff in, and they mm -hmm. wanted look at how much force you have when mm -hmm. you're able to sniff in and they said that I'd be a very effective um, cocaine user. Um, they'd never seen a number that high. Um, they are looking at... Well, it's good for the resume. I know. Fantastic. I know. Uh, my cousin said I missed my calling. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a job you get. Well, so. you know, I could be a consultant of some sort. Okay. Well, um, let's, let's just not do okay. that. Uh, and they checked the slow vital capacity, which is more about the breathing and lung function. 
quantitative motor assessment. I did a cognitive and behavioral screening, which was really interesting. And then I was supposed to have an MRI, which I couldn't do because I could not get my wedding rings off my finger. And what was neat is they are really want feedback from people about what their experience is um, and what potentially they could do better. And one of the things that came up was that if I had known ahead of time that I needed to get the rings off for MRI, which clearly I should have known, but if you're not in the medical profession, you may not be aware of that. The people in the study already, they made adjustments. Even the people that were, someone was coming the following week, they were going to call, it was a woman, and, and, and let her know that she could try to get her wedding rings off before flying and being puffy and humidity and heat yeah. down there. Um, so I didn't get to have the MRI, which was also unfortunate um, that I couldn't do that. But there's always next time. And with this study, they, they with this study, it's every, they want you to come down every 12 to 18 months. So you're going to go back? Yes. So you go back and go through all that process again. And the people there were great. I feel much more comfortable going back because I kind of know what to expect. Um, do you want me to say what that group I made? Whatever information I get. Um, so what I decided to do, it, we have so many friends and family who have supported us for so many years. Um, and I know for myself, I'm always curious where money goes, like research dollars and like what that really looks like. So I decided to come up uh, with a Facebook group that was closed um, that was called um, Chrissy the Guinea Pig. Which I got to be a part of. <laughs> and I was confused when I saw it. I didn't know you were doing this either. And so I think a lot of people were like, what's going on here? Right. And that is true. I, I didn't tell a lot of people about it um, just because it was a, such a lengthy process and people have a lot of opinions about a lot of things and I don't know. And frankly, I don't really care what they are, but I mean, I care, but anyway. Um, so I started this group to kind of track what was happening to me, what I was involved in, what I was doing. One, for people who are good friends and family to kind of see what I'm, what's going on, um, but also for people who might be interested um, in participating in something like, like this, whether it be with ALS or any other disease, to kind of know that being a part of research, it's, um, it's, it makes you feel like you're doing something yeah. instead of just sitting on the sidelines. So, and I also got a lot of support that way too. So people would comment back to me about different things that I was having done. Um, it just felt, for me, it was more connected and because of that, um, there are a number of people who are in the familial ALS community, like worldwide, who have a small group who have now gotten involved in my little guinea pig site and are now looking into being part of that research, too. So it was a way for them to see how they could get involved. Well, and I, like we started at the beginning here, people don't realize that they can do research, too. Yeah. And... So it's important to get that information from people like you so that yeah. someone like me, my grandfather had ALS, and we don't have a history of it in my family, but if there was, I would feel like, oh, well, I could do something. Right. Um, I mentioned my mother having MS, yes. and there was a st I volunteered for a study there that I didn't do, that, but they were looking for people who are relatives of people with MS. Yeah. Um, so for people who are listening, there's a lot of kinds of, a lot of different research that you can do. Yes. You would encourage it. Absolutely. It was a very good experience um, to see firsthand what research is being done, how it's being done, um, and and any of the 
research that I've seen over the years that either I was in or my sister's been in um, has been exceptionally well run. The people are very kind. They're very knowledgeable. So when you're, you're talking to people who already get it, they already know like what's going on, um, which is really nice um, to not have to say what ALS is and how it's affected you and whatever. Um, so it feels good. It's a feel-good situation, even though it may not be something a lot of people want to do, um, having a lot of things done. It, it, in the end, it feels like you've done something positive. And you did do something positive. You're, yeah. you're, whether, whatever your results are, it's positive to encourage other people to participate in research, to know that it's possible, um, to learn more about how the research money is spent. Right. So you know that the money is being spent wisely. Exactly. And frankly, the, I was allowed into the study... Um, after I thought it was the ice bucket money, but it wasn't, but it was, they did get some money or a grant and they were allowed to allow more people into the study. And that's how my number came up. So that was a great thing. I was happy to, like, like we said, happy to do it. So you, and, and what people don't realize that research money doesn't just go to buying syringes and to pay physician neurologists to do stuff. Um, it also goes to making sure that people can get to these studies and participate because, yes, they're paying for flights or make it, but without that, you can't have the participants. And that's right. the, the participants are the most important thing. Right. And, and Otherwise, we, you're just doing research on dolls. Right. What, what fun is that? So if, I don't know, for me and my family, I feel like it, it how, how do you not do it? Like... How do I not, um, if, if it's even for selfish reasons, to, find, help, to not have this happen to my sisters or my, the, our children, but all the people we've met who have ALS, you know, it's not going to just help people who have familial ALS, this particular study. It's going to help anybody um, who in the future might get ALS. So it's research for all ALS patients, not just for familial cases. They look at familiar cases because they can gather more information and see um, family line, so that helps them to unlock more of the mystery of it, which is so I'm happy to do that. So if you want to learn more about research and how to participate, whether you have ALS or you are a family member or even a friend and just want to find out like how you can support it, you can go to our website, www.alsphiladelphia.org. You can go to www.alsa.org, the National ALS Association. Um, you can go to clinicaltrials.gov to learn about all sorts of trials. I'm sure, Chrissy, you've learned about many, many trials that exist in the world. Yes, there are so many. Which is really rewarding. And, and like you said with the Ice Bucket Challenge, the fact is there's a lot of studies that are able to exist or continue because there's more funding. Absolutely. So your dollars are making a, a difference. Um Clearly, my baby AJ, he, he's he is excited about here. the research, too. Yes. Um, because, you know, I got a baby in my arm, but he's the next generation is who we're doing research for, right? Whether it's, um, you know, young people or, you know, of all ages uh, to make sure that we find a cure for ALS as soon as we can uh, for all people who are affected today and might be affected in the future. So are there any more words of encouragement you would give to people about um why they should get involved? Yeah, don't doubt that you can make a difference. Whoever you are, 
um, whatever you can, whether it's through donations, whether it's through spreading the word about research, whether it's through encouraging somebody who's, um, you know, thinking about it. Um, there's so much positive that can be done. And even if you don't have a familial connection, a lot of, if you know somebody who's doing research, they often need a control person. And the control person might just be they want some of your blood. Um, so there are ways to get involved. And I think for anybody I've spoken to, the outcome of those things are usually that people feel really good, that they've done something positive. Um, and with this disease where there isn't a whole lot of good, it's nice to know that you can do something and you can make a difference. Well, like you said, the encouragement is a big deal. So encourage your friends. You know, be a supportive person as much as you can with this terrible disease. Learn more about it at www.alsphiladelphia.org. Uh, the Delaney family, Delaney Strong, is involved in basically every event, especially the Walk to Defeat ALS, one of our top teams. Yeah. So learn about some of our local walks at www.gpcwalktodefeatals.org. That's GPC for Greater Philadelphia Chapter. Um, and you don't have to be a giant team to participate either. Um, and you'll feel support being around people who get it. Well, not to get too off track, but as you know, a lot of the team that started off raising a couple hundred dollars or a thousand dollars ended up being their, our biggest team within a couple of years. So right. it's better to come and do your part. We'd rather have... 10,000 people that all donated a couple bucks yep. than just a couple people because that support matters. And the camaraderie of being around like people, I think, is beneficial for people who are involved in this disease, whether as a patient or family members. Right. So there's a lot of good that can come. And, of course, Chrissy was traveling the world or the country going to Miami. Yeah. And you can find out about more states that are getting involved in the 50 and 30 challenge. That's www.50in30.org. Uh, to, during the month of August. So, Chrissy, thank you for talking to us. Thank you for doing the research. My pleasure. And thank you to everyone else who's participated in research, whether as a donor, um, an advocate, or as a person being in the studies themselves. Again, learn more at ALSPhiladelphia.org.